0: Hello and welcome to the new Digital Age PMU podcast. My name is Justin Pierce, and I'm the editor. These podcasts are a series of short interviews with some of the amazing women that have taken part in the Practice that Makes One Perfect programme. A course, developed an association with Amy Keene that helps women find and finesse their public voices. So Bicky, hi and thanks for joining us on the NDA PMU podcast.
1: Hi Justin, thanks. Good, great to be here.
0: So before we kick off, let's hear a bit about you. Do you want to tell us where you work, what you do there, what you did before, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Yeah, sure. So I am a global brand media manager at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. um, And I've actually been at Hewlett Packard Enterprise my entire career. So I started as an intern eight years ago, um, returned as a graduate, and then just kind of changed roles for the last six years to get to where I am now.
0: We'll talk about that in a second, because that's quite quite usual nowadays. But your your subject today is (laughs) I sort of love time to quit CSR. So the question is obviously, what do you mean? Why?
1: (laughs) Okay, so CSR is all about driving change on societal or environmental issues, right? But the problem is the majority of brands use CSR to drive revenue and not change. And it's not that I don't think that they should be doing CSR. I just think that they are incapable because they're focused on the revenue aspect of it rather than actually driving change in society. And if a business isn't having a positive impact on the areas that it claims to, then all it really boils down to is things like virtue signaling and cause marketing, which is just pointless. There is no need for it. And so, you know, I just kind of think if you're not really going to drive the change, what the hell is the point in doing it anyway, just for the sake of it?
0: okay how do you do it right
1: so I think there are a couple of examples I can think of of brands that have done it right um so you have people like Gymshark who um I think everybody knows them everybody seems to love their brand but what people don't appreciate is that they actually seem to put their money where their mouth is so you know they hired a um disabled influencer athlete as one of their Gymshark athletes, Sophie Butler. Um, She's actually been working with them for a number of years and she, um, they posted a picture of her on the Gymshark account um, in her wheelchair, in the Gymshark gear. She received a ton of backlash, right? It was awful. It was shocking. And rather than just deleting the comments and brushing it under the carpet, you know, they released a statement to say, this is completely unacceptable. They supported Sophie, and you know, she came on her Instagram and she spoke about how they were supporting her through this and how they were trying to address the change. That's how you do it properly. You don't shy away from the conflict and the controversy that CSR can cause because to drive change, you are going to experience conflict. You know, you embrace it and you keep pushing and you do it because it's the right thing to do.
0: I think it's interesting. It's a hard argument because on one hand, shouldn't every brand. Have a CSR policy, and maybe if they don't do it uh, as well as they should, as well as Sark for example, does it, at least they have it to build upon. So, is, is it not a? Shouldn't every brand, at least, or every company, at least, have a CSR policy to start with?
1: So you would think so, and this this is where it gets tricky, and this is why it is a controversial topic, right? And you, the Edelman Trust Barometer, for example, they did a survey and they showed that 86% of people agreed that CEOs should actually publicly speak out about societal issues. That's all well and good. They also found that trust in businesses actually increases when you put long-term thinking over the short-term profits. And they also saw like over the last year, so this is the latest study, that there was an increase in urgency for companies to help address these issues. So the need is there, and I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But the problem is, is there have been other studies that show when people don't follow this up with action, it's actually more damaging. And right. it's, not just, it's not just about the fact that a business isn't making the impact, but it can impact that business itself. And so if you're losing your consumer's trust because you really aren't following through, then you're gonna, it's a bad business decision at the end of the day as well. And you're kind of going imp- to impair the amount of revenue you're going to build anyway.
0: Yeah, I totally get that. And what about also employees? We're seeing lots of studies coming out that show that employees, especially the younger generations, will choose a job based on the company's company's corporate values. And I guess CSR is such an important part of that. So I guess employees play an important role here too.
1: They do. um, And they really, really do. And I think especially millennials and Gen Zers, you know, they are the generations which care more and more about values. And, you know, I'm at my company today because of the values that it upholds. But I am pretty convinced, you know, probably 90 percent of people who work in brand, comms, marketing or advertising have sat in a meeting where something has been edited or removed the fear of being too much or too controversial, even when that's in favor of driving positive change. I've definitely been in situations like that. And, you know, there are public examples as well. Um, Monroe Bergdorf, who um, is a black trans woman, she um, was fired from L'Oreal for speaking out about racism and white supremacy. This is back in 2017, and, you know, she has since been fired. But that's just, a, that's another example and a very public example of a brand who has literally fired somebody because it's too much. And, you know, it's, she's not, what she was saying was not incorrect. You know, it was really important. But L'Oreal were like, oh, no.
0: So what do you do? So you'd be in that situation yourself, not as extreme as that example, but, but what do you do when you find yourself in that situation? Uh, it must be hard because that's the corporate line. If the corporate line isn't, isn't right, how, how do you speak out uh, without fear of, you know, imprisals? I th-
1: I think that's the tricky thing, okay? And I think there there is a big perception that employees are very responsible for driving change within an organization the problem is is that it's not always easy to speak out about the problems okay and the issue is is that you know when you are in a big organization particularly um and you know you've got to kind of force that conversation sometimes the voices are silenced and I'm not going to talk about my own experience here um, because, you know, my company is great and actually they do listen and they do respect everybody's opinions. But if we think about um, other examples where this has happened and stuff, you know, you've got, let's, let's bring us back to women particularly. Okay. Cause this is a very easy issue for people un- to understand. We've got an advertising industry, which is being renowned really um, for silencing women's voices. And, you know, Zoe Scaman, for example, wrote a big essay, I'm sure everybody's seen it, Mad Men Furious Women, basically highlighting all of the corruption within our industry. And it was shocking. But the problem is, is her research and all the research that she did that she uncovered, basically showed that women didn't feel like they could come forward, and they didn't feel like they had a seat at a table. And so it's very easy to sit there and say employees need to speak up, and they need to be the ones to drive this change. But actually, if you put yourself in that position where you're in the minority group, it's, it's not that easy. And companies will more often than not side on the side of not wanting to alienate men, for example. you know The advertising industries um, and the companies which are being called out by Zoe, they're siding with the men because they don't want to alienate their leadership rather than siding with 50% of the population that have been sexually harassed. So it's, it's not an easy thing. And, you know, I think the way that we can address this is if there was some sort of independent governing body that sat aside from all of the different companies, kind of like a advertising um, standards agency take two, you know, but it culture checks, it fact checks all the CSR things. It makes sure that some we have a body of people that you can go to that is going to address this. It's not your own HR department.
0: Okay, interesting. So let's talk about the positive side of stuff. Obviously, you know, the company you're at now is is doing it right. You know, you've been there for a long time and, uh, you know, they are doing it right. So how are they? What things do you think that other companies can learn from?
1: So we're not perfect. Um, And obviously, I'm not speaking on behalf of my company. Um, But, you know, I think the things to me which work really well is the transparency we get from senior leadership. Um, And the outward communications on really important issues. You know, our CEO, for example, has recently come out and been very supportive about the coronavirus vaccine um, and the fact that actually we are going to have to be required to have a vaccine to return to the office. That is super important. He made public statements when it came to um, when the Black Lives Matters protests really kind of peaked last year. He actively advocates for women. Um, and, you know, he's a, I think it comes from the leadership. And if your leadership of being transparent, then that is, I guess, like the the role model you've got in your company. Um, But it's also about fostering talent, for example, and making sure that you've got a diverse workforce and different people's opinions are respected. Um, You know, I work in the tech industry, right? So (laughs) you get a lot of white men in senior positions. So the fact that you start to see this diverse workforce actually gives you a lot more trust in your employer and a lot more like ability to be like, you know what, like, this is a safe space for me to be able to voice my opinion, um, and and that's I think how you do it right. But like I said, you know we're, we're not perfect, um, but you, you do have to start somewhere.
0: Okay, fantastic. Look, I can't I can't not ask you a bit about it. you've been uh, at your company all the way through your career. Uh, <laughs> joined it and grabbed and came back and that's that's nowadays sort of really admirable and a bit sort of unusual so what what's kept you there what's not what's stopped some other company poaching you away from there
1: <laughs> um the people um it, in all honesty I have worked for some uh, mostly women actually um I've had I think six different managers and five of them have been women which mm. is incredible um They've given me such great aspirations, um, you know, to live up to, and it comes back to the company values. You know, they they believe in being a force for good um, and advancing the way people live and work. You know, that that is our company tagline. And you can really see that in the technology. It isn't just a tagline. Every single thing that the company does is focused around advancing the way people live and work. Um, and I think the way that they handled the pandemic and, you know, all of these different things, obviously, it's not been without its issues throughout my whole eight years with them. There have been ups and downs. In you know, we went from a HP as Hewlett-Packard to HPE. So it's a split in itself. Um, so, yeah, it's huge change, not without its challenges. But when it comes down to it, the values and the people um, have been consistent throughout.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about you mentioned the pandemic? What's how's that changed? what you've just been talking about, changed the values, changed the way HP has communicated both internally and externally?
1: I honestly think it's made us communicate more clearly. Um, You know, I think there was this real need to be open with people um, and to make people feel like they had a safe space. Um, For me, I was quite remote anyway. Um, I work mostly with a US team. So that kind of barrier of not having an office to go to wasn't as much of an issue. But what I did feel is that for the first time in a long time, is that there was more online spaces for me to kind of communicate with people. And it, it really helped take down that barrier and make you feel like you had a group of people and our team became our family and our friends in that aspect you know it brought us closer together and we've never as i think it, it we have to pay a lot to our like team leads i think in this um because we are closer than ever and we know so much about each other's personal lives and i think that's only strengthened um the relationships
0: and do you think that'll endure as we go back to the to the real world
1: i think so um i think it depends on different companies but like for us particularly there's such a love for the different people and the different personalities. And actually we've seen so many people come to life in such different ways since actually being able to open up and see all of these different elements of their personality and actually being like, Hey, do you know what? I'm having a really tough time right now. I, I can't, I can't take this on at work. It's given that kind of new sense of openness. And I think, I I think everybody has a desire to keep it that way. And I can't see us letting ourselves slip back into that, keeping work at work and home at home
0: well that certainly hope. so Vicky that was a fantastic chat and I think you've definitely won the argument on how to <laughs> so thank you so much thank you and thank you for listening goodbye